In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual. And Cinda Virtual brings together leaders and businesses from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda Virtual under www.cinda.org. Now, we not only bring leaders and businesses from all over the world together, but we also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to this series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, you can listen to the series on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. In this series, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you also to connect with me Send your, me an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and tell me what you would like to hear on this series. Now, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. And on to what we're going to talk about today. Now, you know, when we were all young children sitting in the classroom, if we wanted to ask a question during the class, we had to raise our hands and wait till the teacher called our name. And why did we do this? Because it was the rule. I mean, that was the rule, how you got your question noticed in class. But most people don't question rules because rules are designed to protect the status quo to create a level playing field. They're also created by people who have a vested interest in them and many people just don't think about the rules. But rules are not static. They evolve and are based on the information we have at a certain time or the interests of certain people. Now, rules should not be confused with laws that are in place to protect us but rules are a little bit different because they're very, very often open to interpretation. Rules can change quite easily, and most successful people sometimes do that. They examine the rules to be better understand, understood. They under, examine rules to better understand them, and they explore if there is a better way to do things. Now, our guest today has studied this subject and has concluded that most successful people engage in what he calls intelligent disobedience when it comes to managing 
rules. And this is what we're going to speak about today. Now, our guest is Robert, and I'm going to say Bob McGannon, and he is the author of Intelligent Disobedience, The Difference Between Good and Great Leaders. In addition to being an author, Bob is a LinkedIn learning instructor and facilitates leadership workshops around the world. And he's spreading the message on intelligence disobedience. Bob has worked in with number of leaders, both experienced and experienced, for more than 20 year, 30 years and in 15 countries. And he has a wide variety of background and has delivered keynote addresses to conferences and industry meetings around the world. He has more than 30 years of IT, general management, project management, and outsourcing management experience, 18 of those with the IBM Corporation. He is a certified project manager, management professional by the Project Management Institute, a certified executive project manager with IBM, a certified project manager coach for the Boeing Corporation, and is currently an honorary adjunct professor at Bond University in Australia. And he really gives us, this is really what Leadership Beyond Borders is about, because Bob, welcome to the show from Australia today. Thank you very much, Kim. It's good to be with you. Okay. So, Bob, just how did you get this idea Um, about um, intelligent disobedience? So the phrase intelligent disobedience comes from the world of seeing eye dogs. You spend 12 or 18 months teaching a seeing eye dog to obey, and then the next 12 to 18 months teaching it when not to obey and how not to obey. For instance, if, you know, its master asks it to cross the street and and it knows there's an electric car, which its master can't hear coming toward them, it needs to disobey and not cross the road. The dog has information that its master does not. And and you see so many instances with very, very busy managers or managers with a large span of control that the people that report to them have more information than they do. So it's a matter of understanding what ultimately um, they can bring to the table to tell their manager that, you know, boss, this is not the right idea. We're not going to get the outcome we expect here. That's the essence of intelligent disobedience, its source, and how it ultimately works in the business world. Mm-hmm. So you, you have a book, and um, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that book, and our listeners would like to hear. Um, but if you, if you were to have another name for the book, okay, um, because this is about information rules. I mean, what would you call the book and why? If I didn't call it intelligent disobedience, I think I would have called it the power of authenticity. You mm-hmm. are bringing your authentic self, what it is you know, your experiences, what you see in the call face to the business world in its most fullest extent. Uh, when, when you're not allowed to do that, it's almost the same as a master pushing the seeing eye dog into the street when the car is coming, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really allowing people to, to bring those capabilities. And I think that's a really, really viable subject, what's going on right now with diversity and inclusion being so popular and something we need to embrace much better than, than we have in the past. 
all that is really an expression, I think, of authenticity for all the individuals in your organization and their capabilities and what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I talked a little bit about kind of rules. And when I think about, when you talk about authenticity, um, you know, it's kind of, we have ways of doing things. And, and what I'm hearing from you is this is kind of bringing in your real self, bringing in other ways to do. But isn't that a little bit scary? I mean, uh, look, okay. look, look the, yeah, you know, you, 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 Kim, <laughs> I, I don't endorse anybody going into work thinking, I have a wild hair today, so I'm going to engage in some intelligent disobedience. Right? <laughs> I feel a little wild. That's not really what this is about. My objective, actually, is not to engage in intelligent disobedience. But if you think in terms of business processes, you know, let's say if you have a really good business process, 98% of the time it works just fine and it generates the outcome it is intended to support. The question is, What happens in the other 2%, right? Do you just follow the process anyway and get a suboptimal result or maybe even a frustrated customer? Or are you as a manager or the people that you lead, are you giving them the latitude to to understand that and make an adjustment so the outcome that that process is intended to generate is still generated? Sometimes you have to break the rules. Sometimes you have to bend the rules. So it really is something that you're going to do in that in that sort of outlying two percent versus you know something you'll do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, that almost sounds like um, in German. There's a great word. It's called denken mit, and it means thinking with. Okay, um, it it sounds like giving people the permission to think with the the process, and therefore maybe. If that process isn't exact, um, to find that other two percent is 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 that what you're getting at here? I think so. Yeah, and and it's understanding as you're marching through a process or going through a series of steps to understand this is this is not the usual case, right? Um, I know I I had an instance once when when I went to a bank and I had an unusual. You know, an unusual request, and it didn't involve a firearm or any masks or anything, right? Uh, <laughs> it was a legitimate business transaction, but it was a little different because, you know, it involved two different businesses and one I was selling. It was just an interesting transaction, and the, the poor person I was working with was trying really hard to find the process that she could follow to help me. Mm-hmm. I mean, she spent an hour and a half on the phone to the bank's help desk, looking through a bunch of manuals, trying to find the process. There was no process. She eventually walked into her bank manager's office and said, uh, you know, this is the situation. So I'd explain the whole situation to him. And he goes, oh, there's no process for that. Mm -hmm. We can just do it this way. And I'm thinking if that bank manager had given the employee the opportunity to just think logically, understand the outcome that made sense for the bank and for me as a client – that whole process could have taken 20 minutes and not two hours by the time mm-hmm. I was done with this, this poor, you know, bank administrator and then, and then the branch manager, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there, it's one of those instances. People, people that, that are working with these processes every day that are processing things uh, for customers, for instance, they understand when you've got something that may be in those 2%. But if you interpret someone's job as following a process – versus creating an outcome, 
you're going to create inefficiencies, frustrated customers, and you're just not going to get the results that you really are hoping for. Mm-hmm. And that that is a really good point, okay? Because you know, so many job, you know, you have job descriptions, and they job descriptions are almost processes <laughs> themselves, okay? They can be. They uh, absolutely <laughs> can be. Absolutely. So, I mean, how, how, you know, with that, if I'm that bank manager you're talking about, I mean, she probably was held back because of she was afraid of risk or, or afraid of not to following the processes. Um, how, you know, what, how, what do you have to say about that? I mean, how do you get somebody to think, okay, you know, I want to focus on the outcome, but I have to you know, not be afraid or, of the risks that go with it? Sure. I, I, I think that it creates, there needs to be dialogue between people and, and their managers. And, and that's not necessarily just rank and file folks. I mean, it could be managers and the middle managers and middle managers and the senior managers. There, there has to be some dialogue about the outcomes. And, um, you know, what are those rules, like you talked about raising your hand in the beginning, you know, that in some people's minds are non-breakable. Often, those are associated with laws And you have to understand that background. So if you're working in pharmaceuticals and you're testing vaccines, certainly something that we're all watching very Mm -hmm. intently nowadays, right? Uh, You compromise that process too much. Yeah. And you could release something to be extraordinarily dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. So so that, that routine is not something that you would necessarily want to change. You don't want to compromise that. Yet... If you work at Google, I mean, they change the rules three or four times a day just to see what happens, right? Uh, and and um, you know, so, so and they're they're doing it for the sake of discovery. So very different environment, very different context. But you, you know, you you really need to understand that that context as to where you're going, and and ultimately be able to understand when and how you can break the rules. And that's about trust and about good dialogue between managers. And, and the people that report to them, and really understanding the culture and the source of rules and procedures that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And and that has something to do with responsibility also, because when you said instead of following the, the process but focusing on the outcome, it's understanding, you know, my delivery and my responsibility uh, to the company. So what, where does responsibility come in this? Well, th- see, that's a really interesting sort of thing and people differ the way mm-hmm. they think about this and, and what they think is courage, right? And maybe we can talk about that before we're yeah. done. But, um, you know, some people are, are like, they have to follow the process and, and that is how they're managed and that is how they perceive their job to follow the process. Uh, others are to create an outcome and they talk about outcomes and they talk about the procedures being a tool not the essence of their job, like we talked about earlier, right? So it really is uh, focusing on what you are asking your people to do. So so managers are going to get a much different set of outcomes and a much different set of, of approaches from their people uh, if, if they categorize the nature of the job differently. Is the process a tool? Um, and then the outcome is the job? Or is the process... The job, right? It's really mm-hmm. a matter of valuing outcomes over compliance. Mm-hmm. Good. And I, I'd like to come, we're going to take a short break, Bob. And when we come back, I'd like to, to 
talk about that a little bit more and um, also kind of wrap that up and talk about the courage, responsibility, ethics in this whole thing. And for for our listeners, we are speaking with Bob McGannon, and he is the author of Intelligent Disobedience, The Difference Between Good and Great Leaders. And in addition to being an author, he's a LinkedIn learning instructor, and he does have a video course, Leading with Intelligence Disobedience, on LinkedIn Learning. So you can look him up there. If you'd like to connect with him, he's at, at Twitter, at Bob McGannon, and on LinkedIn under R McGannon. And the website is www.intelligentdisobedience.com. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda Virtual. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold conferences in Europe. And they also have uh, webinars, blogs, videos online 24 hours a day under www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's time to future-proof your business. Join host Bonnie D. Graham for the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve. Presented by Deloitte, SAP solutions help you transform your business. And we'll start by going in-depth with topics and guests built around the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. Clean, intelligent, inclusive, and responsive. Move in to the next level with the Kinetic Enterprise, presented by Deloitte, live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are speaking with Bob McGannon, and he is the author of Intelligent Disobedience, The Difference Between Good and Great Leaders. And he is also a LinkedIn learning instructor. And he has a video course on LinkedIn calling Leading with Intelligent Intelligent Disobedience. And so you can also check him out on LinkedIn. Now, we're, we're talking, um, we're trying to get an idea on what this intelligent disobedience was, Bob, before in the first segment. And uh, I brought the question forward on responsibility, and you brought, you said, you talked about courage, and you know, it to kind of think out of the box or to to you know take responsibility to maybe look at a process that has to change to get a certain outcome. You do need courage. So, can we talk about that a little bit? It's really interesting, uh, Kim. When I when I was doing research for the book and I was talking to a number of different managers in a number of different scenarios. There was really two themes that came out about courage and really surprised me. The first was, I ha- you know, people that say, I have to build up the courage to break the process. And that really, that's what they focus on. Can I break the process? Can I break the process? Or can I bend it in some sort of way? Right? Where others would say, oh, there's no question I'm going to break the process. I don't have the courage to stay with the process because I know the outcome isn't going to be the same. Hmm. So, so there's folks that naturally think about the outcome and they're afraid not to take action that isn't going to you know, generate the outcome that's expected of them, where others have this, this background in, in their personality where they focus on having to build up courage to... Um, bender or, or violate a process. So it's really interesting. And, and I think part of it could be the nature of the organization, but, but part of it is, is even the background of individuals. I mean, I talked to a colonel in the United States Army who said, oh, it's all about the outcomes. The rules are just, you know, what you get there. And I'm thinking, wait, isn't obeying orders kind of like the order? Isn't that kind of what you do <laughs> in the <laughs> army? And they said, "Well, we don't talk about it too much, but actually, the, the the people that get promoted are the people that know how to figure out how not to obey the rules when mm-hmm. it's appropriate." So it, it's interesting. There's even a subculture in, in a place like the military where where that comes into play, and so even in that, you might have. You know, people with personalities and backgrounds that gravitate toward one, needing to build up one form of courage to another. I found that very surprising when we were, um, when I was doing the research for the book. 
When when you were doing that research for the book, um, and, and you said, you know, building up the courage or, or the ones who do have the courage because they know the outcome, um, do you see as the second category that that's a stronger leadership skill? Okay, if you to put the if you had two leaders there, okay, and you're looking for leadership qualities, would you be saying that that person who does have the courage and and um, and is looking at outcome would be a stronger leader than the other one? You know, I'll only give you my experience. Mm-hmm. In working for leaders that would engage in intelligent disobedience, I felt more successful. I thought the organization was more successful. I thought we got more done. And going back to the authenticity thing we talked about in the first segment, and, and it's, you know, people are able to more authentically express who they are and what their capabilities are. So I think we got a lot more accomplished and it was a lot more satisfying. So uh, that's my experience. So, so certainly that's actually one of my motivations for writing the book to try to share those stories, not necessarily said I was right or I was wrong because intelligent disobedience is contextual, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what someone can do in Google and changing something two or three times a day, you're not going to do if you're working in an electric utility company and you're work you're playing with the electrical distribution grid. You know, you just can't toy around. <laughs> you can't toy around with that, right? So, yeah. so what could be intelligent disobedience in one scenario? It's just plain disobedience <laughs> in another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, so I, it's the premise that I was trying to bring forward and and put the context in. But I do think when you when you understand that context and and the nature of what you're trying to accomplish, and again the the processes and what the sources and why they're there, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're focusing on those outcomes and and know when and how you might have flexibility, I, I think you're going to create the the best results when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And in this whole scheme, um, Bob, um, you know, we're talking about maybe thinking outside the box, maybe bending the rules a little bit because you're focusing on the outcome. Where does um, ethics come in the whole scheme of this? I felt, you know, I've been collecting stories and doing the research for this book over 10 years. Um, and and the, the chapter that I sweat over the most <laughs> <laughs> was the chapter on ethics yeah. because I didn't want the book to be an excuse for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I have a series of guidelines for ethics. First and foremost, this is for the benefit of the organization, not yourself. Now, yeah. while you as an individual and an individual leader may get recognized for the outcomes that you're producing, that's a good thing. I don't have any issue with that, but that should not be the reason why you do it. This is mm-hmm. for the out, the overall improved outcomes for the organization in which you're working. There's, there's a beautiful phrase down here in Australia called the duty of care. Mm-hmm. You have a duty of care. And I hadn't heard that phrase used in the U.S., uh, where I'm from originally. But down here, they use it a lot. And I think it's really a great phrase to describe. You, know, you engage in intelligent disobedience because that is the duty of care that you have for the, for the organization you're working with, for the, for the short and long-term implications of working with a client, uh, you're trying to create the best outcome. And, and when you do that, and, and you, you do that you know, with that intent and that intent primarily, uh, I would say intelligent disobedience is at least defensible from an ethical standpoint, and that's what you're trying to do. And in fact, I, I would suggest that if you're following a process and you know it's not going to create the outcome that that process was intended to produce, 
is that really ethical behavior? The opposite of intelligent disobedience, by the way, is, <clears throat> is malicious obedience. Mm-hmm. And you can hear it. It sounds yeah. like this, Kim. Okay, Kim, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. How many times have I heard that? <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, no. Uh, that's, a really, that's a really good example. Um, do, do you have, do you have a, any other example, you know, uh, maybe the involving excellence? And the other question I have is, is power, okay? Because we're, we're seeing a lot today in the world around, with leadership, a lot, uh, you know, a lot talking about power, a lot talking about ethics. Where does, how does power work in? Because to me, you know, it's something like um, intelligence, uh, disobedience might just be kind of like throwing gasoline on f- power. I, I, I don't know. What do well, you look? What, let's get back to what the intent is. Okay. Right. Yep. If 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 you have intent for you know improving the outcomes of the organization, and not at the sacrifice of clients, right? So I mean, I think about some of the horrible things that that have you know Wells Fargo Bank with creating mm-hmm. these these accounts. With, without their clients knowing about it and, you know, they're getting service fees. I mean, yes, that was, a, that was an activity that, that someone thought was a good idea to improve the outcome of the organization, but, but you know, there's a deceit yeah. along with that improvement, right? So, so, so this is improvement, you know, with, with um, appropriate, defensible, and, and, you know, ultimately you could be transparent for the intent Mm-hmm. Of of what is it? Yes, I broke the rule, but here's why. And you have a real defensible process for going through this, and and you can explain yourself. And and I would say that anybody that engages in an act of intelligent disobedience, if they don't know how they're going to explain it to somebody, if someone says, "Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you didn't follow process," I would suggest they're not ready to engage in intelligent disobedience if they do that. They should have a good answer to that. And and if you have power in an organization i think you have the ability to to use your discretion take a business risk uh and and engage in some intelligent disobedience but but it's understanding again what's the intent what's the outcome that you're striving for that's better um that that's going to create uh, you know better results that aren't sacrificing some other bit of integrity mm-hmm. so i'll do so yeah, so that so that would say to me that then there may be as you define this, and I'm going to um, at different levels of the organization. Okay, whether it's a line manager or an executive, or a manager or you know a CEO, at different levels of the organization, are there kind of more like different parameters for this, or or you know different definitions for engaging in it? Or is it definition across, and it's just your your sphere of power, your sphere of um, responsibility? You know, I think it is. I, th- I think it's your your sphere of responsibility ultimately, mm-hmm. but it really takes on something different. I mean, I think first first level managers actually probably engage in more acts of intelligent disobedience, and they're really kind of quiet. I mean, you know, there's an example in my book of someone that used an education budget to give somebody a trip to a city they've always wanted to go to. Now, it happens to be a class that was going to be useful, but they sent them there, and it was actually as an award. So you're mm-hmm. using one program to, to satisfy another, 
and, and you're getting a good outcome. You're getting a better educated employee, which is the objective of the education budget. But you know, you also mm-hmm. got another, but you also got another outcome associated with it. And and you you know, knew something about the employee, and they always wanted to go to San Francisco or wherever it was. So yeah. so you sent them there for a class. How cool is that, right? And <laughs> the two birds in one stone, right? Yeah. And you could do that silently. You just mm-hmm. make those decisions, right? Um, middle managers have a little bit greater span of control and things that they could do, but I think middle managers ultimately, it, when, when senior managers in an organization determine a new policy or a policy change, however the middle managers think they can execute it and how they interpret it, I think is what ultimately happens in the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? There's an interesting pivot point in my experience anyway, with middle managers. Senior managers that are trying to engage in intelligent disobedience or support the notion of intelligent disobedience need to understand the context and the capabilities of their middle managers in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And they need to be able to be clear on what those boundaries are. Okay. Otherwise, you know, I mean, you can have somebody um, creating a lot of short-term benefit for clients, but then that client expects that from the company on an ongoing basis, and that may or may not be viable. So it's a short and long-term thinking. And and some people are very good at that. Other people aren't. So if you're going to work with someone, a middle manager, for instance, that, that uh, you know is, is going to engage in some intelligent disobedience, but they haven't demonstrated that long and short-term thinking and balance, you're going to want to work with them a lot versus just turn them loose. Because yeah. you might get those short-term results, but a longer-term problem at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a really good point. And um, we're, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want I really want to talk to you about, you know, how you start to engage it, how a leader starts to use this, how you bring this into your organization, you know, so that we can leave our listeners with really kind of a, this is how you go about doing it. Um, And we'll talk about that when we get back, Bob. So for our listeners, we are speaking with Bob McGannon, and he is the author of Intelligence Disobedience, The Difference Between Good and Great Leaders. Now, in in addition to being an author, he is also a LinkedIn learning instructor, and he has a video course on LinkedIn called Leading with Intelligence Disobedience, and you can tune in to LinkedIn and see him there. But if you'd like to connect with him, then please go to his website, which is Intelligent Disobedience. And if you want to connect directly with Bob, you can do it on Twitter at Bob McAnon and on LinkedIn under R. McAnon. And this broadcast is also being brought to you by Cinda Virtual. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. And Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe. And they also have a learning platform, which is available 24 hours a day, that has webinars, um, podcasts, uh, and all kinds of learning and training on the Cinda website. So please go to www.cinda.org. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, and you are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business station. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. 
Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's time to future-proof your business. Join host Bonnie D. Graham for the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve. Presented by Deloitte, SAP solutions help you transform your business. And we'll start by going in-depth with topics and guests built around the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. Clean, intelligent, inclusive, and responsive. Move in to the next level with the Kinetic Enterprise, presented by Deloitte, live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to leadership beyond borders do you have a question or comment about our show please send an email to leadership beyond borders at gmail.com again that's leadership beyond borders at gmail.com now back to this week's program welcome back to leadership beyond borders on voice america's business channel and today we're talking with bob mccannon and he's the author of Intelligent Disobedience, The Difference Between Good and Great Leaders. And Bob is also a LinkedIn learning instructor and facilitates leadership workshops around the world. And if you want to tune in to him on LinkedIn, he has a video course called Leading with Intelligent Disobedience on LinkedIn Learning. And we've been talking about exactly what intelligent disobedience is. Okay? And Bob, you've given us some great examples and some great definitions so I kind of, I want to, now that I've heard this as a leader, okay, um, you know, how does this actually help me in my leadership role? I think it expands your capabilities, really. 
I mean, if, if, if everybody that has a process that they're trying to follow or processes they're trying to follow and, and they see something that's not quite following the process and they're coming to your office and you have to solve it all, yeah. and, and, and what if you're not there? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Someone has a customer in front of them and you're in a two hour meeting, uh, you know, discussing strategy, which is a good idea to do once in a while. But, you know, what happens to that customer? What happens to that situation? So uh, I think it actually expands your capabilities as a leader and expands the capabilities of the team and the organization that that you manage. And, and really, that was the intent in my mind of, of writing, the doing the research and ultimately writing the book. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I want to do this. Let's say, okay. So, how do I how do I start to engage, and how do I start to practice with myself first? I mean, is there a blueprint? I mean, you know, what do I do? So, I think there's characteristics that that you would want to look for and work on for yourself, but also if you're a manager and within you know the people that you're managing as well, if you want to. Um, Give relinquish some control, if you will, or, or give them some boundaries around uh, engaging in intelligent disobedience. And the first characteristic is, are, are they driven to contribute? Are you really driven to contribute? Are you focused on those outcomes? There are people that feel very, very comfortable, and the nature of who they are is to come in, follow a process, do things, go home. Mm-hmm. And, and really, the whole idea of violating the process is, is a very uncomfortable thing for them. That's not the person that you're going to want to uh, or even expect to engage in intelligent disobedience. That's not their characteristic. So it's a really fundamental thing, but, but it's, it's really, you know, are they driven by those outcomes and not necessarily um, happy with following the process when it doesn't work? The, the second is, is do you have that good focus on short and long-term business outcomes. So, so you're, you're, you, know, you, you understand that you might do something that creates a short-term business outcome, but creates a liability or something difficult later, right? So you understand the short and the long-term, so you can avoid those instances where you create the short-term uh, benefit and a long-term issue. Uh, the second is, uh, and I call it assessing change ambition. If you're going to ultimately alter a process to cover something in the two percent, the next question is: Should we be altering the altering altering? Should we be altering the process, or me just making up words? Right? Should, <laughs> should we be should we be altering the process on an ongoing basis? Is is this exception something that we're going to see again? And and if you do a lot of that, you're really going to confuse the organization. So so do you understand the nature and the and the degree to which? an organization and the processes it follows can be changed logically, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the third characteristic we talk about. The fourth is, is healthy ownership. Sometimes you're going to step out of your lane and do something that is not necessarily in your realm of responsibility. And it's an act of intelligent disobedience and it's the right one. But, but some people want to fix anything, everything, everywhere, <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. That's not a good thing either, because, you know, you're getting in everybody else's space and it creates more confusion. So do you have a healthy sense of what you can help somebody else with and 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 how it's going to affect others when you engage in intelligent disobedience? So it's that healthy sense of ownership of what you're responsible for and an understanding the ownership of others uh, and, and, and what they're responsible for as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the fifth characteristic is a boundary-based relationship. It's not like, you know, Fred calls and you'll do anything for Fred. Well, well, you might like Fred a lot and you really want to. If that's not going to create the best business outcome, that is not that you're violating the first condition of intelligent disobedience, right? So you mm-hmm. have, do you have good boundaries on, on the relationships that you have with your peers, your customers, whatever? And the next is, are they long-term relationships? So you're not just the person that calls up Kim, you know, I haven't talked mm-hmm. to you in two years, but I'm calling you because I want something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You really have those long-term relationships so you can engage in something that is not necessarily standard operating procedures and they understand who you are, what your motives, what your motives are, and, and what the results you're trying to drive are. So, um, you know, you don't get questioned or, um, you know, you don't get an intervention to your intelligent disobedience when you shouldn't and create confusion within the organization or confusion for your client. Mm-hmm. And then lastly is capable, being capable of finesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, while... Um, acts of intelligent disobedience are sometimes look like a bull in a china shop, and it has to be. More often than not, there are a lot of subtleties you have to work through, and uh, so being capable of do that. So those are the seven characteristics that that, that I um, talk about mm-hmm. relative to successfully engaging in intelligent disobedience, and and really, there's really uh, you know I recommend four stages of intelligent disobedience in terms of a manager giving. Uh, some flexibility to their employees, and, and it's based on the number of those characteristics they display and how much you can actually help teach and nurture and support um, for people to, to gain um, those qualities if they haven't come to um, you with them already. Mm-hmm. Well, that, 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 that would be my next question, and I'm glad you said the four stages because you have seven characteristics here. And, um, you know, if an organization has worked in one way for a long time, mm. we all know it's very difficult to, to you know, flip the switch, okay? So, mm-hmm. I mean, how would you then, maybe over these stages, how would you then implement that into the organization? What, what, would, what would you do first? Yeah, you walk before you run. Yeah. I mean, the four stages I talk about are rule bending, rule inventing, rule breaking, and then you're second in command that could do everything that you could do if you weren't okay. there, right? So you really you say, okay, how could we bend the rule? Mm-hmm. And what instances would we bend the rule? And how far would we bend the rule? And, and you have some conversations about that. And, and, and you have your team bring those instances to you where you think the process doesn't quite work in there, you know, how you might bend it. And you talk about what's viable and what's not viable and the short and long-term implications of that, right? And then yeah. and people get used to that. And, and, okay, so then, you know, they start to do that on an ongoing basis. And then it's like, okay, maybe we just have to invent a new rule in some situation that is a farther outlier. And, and if you've been doing some rule bending, that next step, maybe something is, a, is another set of boundaries you can expand a little bit for a little bit. You know, for the, for those instances that are a bit farther afield, mm-hmm. um, then it's we just plain don't do that. But you'll do it in this situation. I mean, there's a story in the book about someone that was a manager 
that had $100,000 of spending authority. And if they were going to spend more than that and sign a contract for the business above that, they had to get four other managers' signatures. And it's, you know, it's Christmas time and he could only get a hold of two of them and they both approved it. So, you know, he signed a contract that by rule he wasn't supposed to sign, but it was going to be a really good deal for the business, Mm -hmm. right? He broke the rule. He broke the rule of his financial um, authority, but he did it with positive intent. It was a it was a positive outcome for the business. It was it was not because he was on an ego trip. He he actually made an effort to go through and follow the process to get four managers authorization. He could only get the two because they were on holiday, right? Mm-hmm. So so there's that. And then uh, so that's the rule breaker. That's the third stage of intelligent disobedience. And the fourth is is my manager's gone. I'm sitting in for my manager, or I have the responsibility to do you know, what my manager would normally do, whatever flexibility he has, I have. Yeah. And you just, you know, engage in intelligent disobedience, again, hopefully within the guidelines we've talked about, but th- there's just no question. So mm-hmm. that, that's someone that really does understand the environment, really understands the culture, really understands what's happening in the organization and, and uh, very, very focused on the short and long term. Um, implications uh, of of what that outcome is going to be, mm-hmm. and, it, and it sounds to me, Bob, when you're when you're engaging people and going through these four steps, and you you know, I completely agree with you. You have to learn to walk before you can run. Um, clarity, clarity, clarity has to, and really parameters have to be discussed because um, you know. And and does everybody have to be involved? I mean, how do you communicate to the organization as a whole? You may have your management team and say, okay, now this is what we're going to do, and these this is the flexibility I'm going to give you. Um, but somebody sees somebody else doing something. I mean, how do you communicate kind of this new management style to the entire organization, or is it they just start to live it? You know, I, I would contend that point. I don't yeah. think it's all that different. No, you okay. have people in an organization that have greater authority than another. You may have a team leader, you know, you might have a manager, mm-hmm. you might have yeah. a team leader, you might have you know other people that report to a team leader. I mean, so there's definitely you know sort of a hierarchy, and, yeah. and sometimes that hierarchy comes about because of their technical background mm-hmm. or their time in the business or some you know you know great relationships and they're a marketing person. I mean, whatever it is, it drives them to that. Um, and, and I think, I think you just, you know, this is just a, a, a different way of describing um, what that is and, and for, and, and what capabilities you're giving to people. Mm-hmm. And for those that say, you know, I'd love to be able to have that flexibility. Uh, what I tried to do in, in talking about those seven characteristics is, is give a set of, of uh, standards that, that mm-hmm. a manager could use to talk with their employees that aren't necessarily the normal things you'd see in a performance evaluation, right? Um, the, you know, we don't normally do growth patterns along these characteristics, but that's exactly what I think, you know, you should do if you're, if you're focusing on an organization that is going to have the, the greater flexibility to create outcomes by using intelligent disobedience. And and that that would be a perfect way to do it. I mean, uh, that that's that's brilliant. You know, you bring this in, and and that kind of becomes part of. Um, you're right. These are things we don't really look at in performance, but they're absolutely key to getting mm. getting the end performance of the organization. Mm. Um, 
just just quick, are there t- any tools people can use to, to help them do this? You know, you know, one of the things that I've that I've tried to do uh, in the book is to is to give people, you know, just some examples that they can follow. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the biggest tool, and it's is 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 really looking at an example of intelligent disobedience from a number of different viewpoints. So, um, look at it from the business impact, right? If if you're going to break a rule and it's going to, you know. Give the business another forty-two cents. Mm. Why bother? Yeah, it's exactly. just going to create. You know, yeah. it's right. Why bother? So, mm. so what's the business impact? Um, what What's the desire of the organization and the individuals? That, you know, to to work in this situation, right? I mean, your very, very worst, most annoying client, who actually costs you more money than you're making on them at this moment, but you're fulfilling the responsibilities because. You've you've got an ongoing contract with them, uh, you know. Do you yeah. really want to go out of your way with that if you absolutely are certain they're going to go elsewhere in the end, yeah. right? So so what's the desire to work through that? Right. Um, what is your role and what are your responsibilities and how big a step is that to to engage in this is another thing to think through. Um, what does your intuition tell me? And now we can mm-hmm. spend a whole other segment on <laughs> intuition uh, and and have some fun with that. But what yeah. does your intuition tell you? And then. Um, you know, is this something that you can own and that you can explain, or do you have to get other people involved in the conversation first? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. those are, and, and, and I created an instrument to, to sort of, you know, I, I don't want the instrument, I hope the instrument's not used as, okay, if it's above seven and I'm going to do it, if it's below seven, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, while I put a little numerical, you know, model into it to, to give people, you know, something to play with that's, yeah the way they think. It's really, I just wanted to create a series of steps for you to think through the potential intelligently disobedient act you're considering. Yeah. Right. That's good. Instead of just, you know, following one bit. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, now, this has been really, really interesting, Bob. We're, we're getting towards the end. I just have kind of two quick questions for you. I mean, sure. what's the, what's the one premise you want people to walk away from with um, this intelligent um, disobedience. I, I would love for the notion for people to be more comfortable with outcomes than compliance okay. in the right circumstances. Perfect. And second question, um, do you have a premise for a follow-up on follow up on the book to intelligence disobedience? I, I'm working on the concept of reducing corporate toxicity. Mm-hmm. And I think really allowing people to exercise their intelligence when it's there, when it's present, and to be able to bring the facts that they know to the table. Uh, So engaging intelligent disobedience is a part of that, but not the whole picture. And I think there's other things I'd like to pull together and make some recommendations on. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. So then we'll have to do a follow-up show on that. (laughs) So thank you so much for taking the time today. And, um, you know, this really has been Leadership Beyond Borders with Bob in Australia, me in Germany, and our studio in Phoenix. So thank you very, very much, Bob, for staying up so late and being with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, and our, for our listeners, been talking to Bob McGannon, and he is the author of The Difference Between Good and Great, D- Intelligent Disobedience, The Difference Between Good and Great Leaders. And he also has a video course on LinkedIn, Leading with Intelligent Disobedience. If you'd like to reach out to Bob, please reach out to him on his website, intelligentdisobedience.com. He's also on the LinkedIn under R. McGannon. And Bob McGannon on Twitter. And this broadcast is brought to you by Cinda Virtual. And if you don't happen to get us live and we're every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time, then please download this show on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and many other podcast platforms. And with that, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in again today. And please tune in again next week. And thank you and have a great week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.